You understand, Captain, that this mission does not exist, nor will it ever exist. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to our last segment, our report uh, from Beirut about the uh, thwarted suicide bomb attempt uh, on Hamra Street. That was Stephen Sahuni. Uh, great report there. And uh, our next guest, uh, is going to be joining us now. Uh, she is an independent journalist, and um, you're very familiar with her. She's been on this show uh, many times and many, many other programs. Uh, you've probably seen her on RT and other networks, too. Her name is Eva Bartlett, and there's a link to her blog right now on the show page uh, in Gaza. You can go and click on see her work, uh, mainly focusing on Syria right now. Uh, thank you for joining us, Eva. Hey, Pat. Thank you very much for having me back on. Yeah, I know you're very busy, and I'm glad we, we managed to catch you. I know you're preparing a, a, a another road tour, a speaking tour uh, in North America, I believe, uh, and also still also putting your work, uh, collating your work uh, and reports on Syria and the situation there and how that's developing. Uh, so I know you're very busy, and we're glad to have you. But uh, just tell us, give us an update right now of uh, what you're looking at uh, in terms of the Middle East, in terms of Syria right now, how things are developing? Um, well, as you said, I am pretty busy preparing for um, a speaking tour in some key Canadian cities um, after having done so in the States just prior to Christmas, and also working on, as, as you and I have discussed uh, offline, um, working on rebuttals to some of these fake news outlets like Snope and Channel 4, and maybe we can get into that later. Um, as, for, as for Syria, I mean... Um, Right now, I'm actually more focused on uh, these these issues, so I, I'm not terribly you know up to date. I am aware, of course, of the some of the crises that our media is not reporting on, like the water crisis in, in Damascus, thanks to Western-backed so-called moderate uh, so-called rebels. Um, and otherwise, I mean, a, a few weeks ago, um, the Israelis attacked, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, the Israelis attacked uh, the Meze Air Base in Damascus. So those are events I'm aware of in Syria, and I'm trying to follow other things, but um, mostly focused at this time on preparing for this speaking tour. And uh, just let's speak to that that point about media coverage. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, this this talk in the media. I, I've heard this talking point. I know you have too, Eva, which is that we can't verify what's happening in Syria because, you know, the Syrian government isn't allowing uh, the you know the Western press uh, into places like Aleppo, so therefore there are no uh, facts, and they're completely writing off uh, any independent journalists like yourself, like Vanessa Bealey, uh like others uh, who have uh, Carla Ortiz and others who who've gone down there and have done lots of reporting, have done tremendous amount of research and putting things together. You know, do you see that? Is that still the case? That attitude, or do you think it's loosening up? A little bit, and they're getting more towards reality uh, after the liberation of Aleppo. How are you seeing this this relationship between media and the public? 
No, that's unfortunately still the case. And I had a, an experience um, just, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, from a, a local journalist from Hamilton, Ontario. And um, I agreed to do the interview. I mean, I'm happy to, you know, to speak what I believe is truth with anybody who's willing to listen and discuss. But after listening to some of her questions and the way she was framing them, it seemed quite clear she already had a narrative in mind or you know, she already had something in mind what she was going to write. But one of her questions was um, a follow-up question after we discussed the fact that I had been in Aleppo um, four times in July, August, and twice in November. Uh, one of her follow-up questions was, how were you able to access areas of Aleppo in November when most other journalists could not enter the area? I'm wondering how you got access. So that, that question, the way it was framed, it seems like she wanted to say something like, I'm a propagandist for the Syrian government or the Russians, which I've addressed in many posts and RT interviews and other interviews. Um, and, and so I replied to her, well, I, I didn't, I kind of snarkily said on a private Facebook post, you know, she could have just used Google and find out what journalists were actually there in Aleppo. But, you know, there were journalists from the Independent. Robert Fisk has been reporting from Aleppo um, for, you know, many, many, many times over the years, including in 2016. And I actually saw him in Aleppo, I think it was on my July visit. Um, and... Also, uh, in my November visit, I was with journalists from New York Times, BBC, LA Times, and I don't know what other um, media were there. I was also, in my second November visit, um, made aware that a team of CBC journalists, so Canadian Broadcasting Corporation journalists, were there. Um, and, you know, that, so that's all in November. Um, I also bumped into Krishnan Guru Murthy of Channel 4 uh, in Aleppo, and I was told, although I didn't see them, but I was told by somebody who I believe was telling the truth, and that, that Vice had been in Aleppo. Um, I believe that was uh, August or September, so or it could have been July. But the point is, there have been corporate media, and there have been independents, as you just mentioned. But yeah, if you wanted to look at corporate media, because this is the line, this is what they're trying to say, well, they're trying to say that the Syrian government is only allowing in journalists that are supportive of the truth. And that's not the case. And in fact, I've had many difficulties, and I'm not this is just a, just just to state it's been difficult for me in many occasions to get a visa in that I've had to pay and wait and wait and wait and wait and it finally came through so it's not about preferential treatment it's just Syria is at war it's you know it does have to be there, there's a bureaucratic system there but it's not that they're banning journalists from from coming in to the contrary the fact that they let in known lying journalists like Channel 4 like BBC like Vice like CBC like New York Times that speaks um, volumes about their visa policy yeah yeah so you know so they are that's a total myth and a total mistruth to say that uh so that journalists aren't allowed uh, into Syria from the Western, even the even the press, like you said, that have been telling lie after lie, mischaracterizing uh, the conflict uh, for years now. They they're, they're even letting some of those in, uh, so that you know, and they they don't have to actually, especially if there's a war going on, and uh, the reporting is undermining um, the security situation there, for instance, right? So. Right, and- just look at the hypocrisy of, say, I don't know if this exists in Canada, but say the U.S. policy of, and I'm sure Vanessa's discussed this on the show, of making it very difficult for U.K. and perhaps other citizens to enter America, even on a tourist visa, not a journalist visa, just a tourist visa, um, if they've been to Syria, Iran, and some other countries. I mean, that is massive hypocrisy. And I know Sharmin Narwani, and I believe it's been republished on 21st Century Wire, Sharmin, a, a couple of years ago, wrote about 
this issue of Western journalists claiming they couldn't get visa, and then she kind of outlined which journals were actually in Syria and that they had been getting visas, and she cited, I think, the Arab League report or something like that, stating the number of journalist visas that had been granted in some period, 2011 or 12. So it's a continuing myth of many myths that are pervade on Syria just to distract from the truth. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't help, um, personally, it doesn't help that uh, uh, networks like uh, CNN have been almost exclusively embedded uh, or getting the reports from uh, al-Nusra terrorist uh, enclaves and sneaking into the country from Turkey, uh, setting up shop with the terrorists and then filming what could easily, I could easily say is propaganda, is pro-terrorism propaganda by CNN, by Clarissa Ward their top reporter, their top foreign correspondent, um, in a way that they're doing propaganda on behalf of the so-called armed opposition, which we know are terrorist uh, groups. Um, so, so that they're under in, in that way, they're undermining the actual you know national security of Syria, and Syria would have a right if they if they chose to reject their visa, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just to, again, if we just were, as with any issue in Syria, if we were to transpose an event that occurred in Syria and, and transpose it to, to, say, to say America, um, what, you know, can you imagine America allowing, giving a visa to people that snuck illegally into America? Those people would most likely be jailed, not just let, allowed to go free. And I know that, um, I believe it was a Japanese journalist, but there were some journalists that had been snuck into Syria, had been kidnapped by one of these um, terrorist or militant factions, was released uh, somehow and uh, given to the Syrian authorities who then took them to this journalist's uh, respective embassy and was allowed to go home, you know. So this journalist had snuck illegally into Syria but yet was escorted, um, you know, with security <laughs> to be to leave Syria safely. And I can't imagine that happening in America or Canada or any Western nation. No, they'd arrest them, wouldn't they? I mean, there would have to be a big diplomatic uh, uh, wrangling to uh, get them free, I'm sure. Be a big incident. Anyway, some phone calls would have to be made. But So, th- so let's, let's drill down a little further. So it seems to me, uh, Eva, and um, you know, this whole thing about fact-checking and Snopes, and uh, this, it seems to me like the, the mainstream media, the corporate media, I'm talking about the BBCs of the world, uh, the Channel 4s of the world, the CNNs, they've really been, to me, they've really been caught out with their, their horrible coverage of the Syrian conflict, which they still claim is a civil war. Uh, they still use that term, civil war, a lot of them do. And, and so now they've been caught out, now that the facts on the ground have been established now. Um, they seem to be attacking independent journalists like yourself, like Vanessa, like others, and trying to discredit them, attack them, to marginalize them, uh, using the weight of their corporate machine, their billion-dollar corporate machine, to basically target uh, and attack people and accuse them of being what they're they're not, uh, you know, Assadists or Putinists or whatever the derogatory kind of connotations are. Um, how, you know, I, I know you're right in this. You're right in the middle of this fight, Eva. So just tell us what some of your observations are about what's going on. Yeah, it, it does seem to be. Um, that's very true. I was going to say a concerted effort. I, I, you know, I don't know what directed Snopes or Channel Four or. Um, 
Huffington Post or any of the ones that have run uh, smear pieces on myself, on Vanessa, and on others. I don't know, you know, if it was just their, that they realized this was a hot topic to address or if there were directives, who knows. But the point is that their um, pieces rely heavily on uh, character smears and uh, strawman arguments and are devoid of facts and, in fact, um, conflate facts. And as you know, I'm working on a rebuttal and... Uh, addressing primarily Snopes and Channel 4. But it's just so striking. I mean, Snopes, in one of their previous art, um, articles, fact checks by the same author, uh, Bettina something or other, um, they essentially whitewashed the white helmets, uh, Al-Qaeda in a facelift, you know, with a facelift. You know, they, they whitewashed the terrorism um, of of Al-Qaeda elements in Syria and the fact that white helmets are embedded with Al-Qaeda. And, you know, so that's a major, it's not just a, a factual error, that's an intentional error. Uh, and then, as you know, Channel 4, um, many of their reports, again, re relied on reports, reporters like Bilal Abdukarim embedded with Al-Qaeda or, or the White Helmets themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and have factually been so wrong. And they've been war propaganda reports. And these are the people um, that are attacking us. And, you know, you have BBC that has on many occasions, uh, reported falsely on Syria, used the, the photograph of the Italian photographer of corpses in Iraq and said, this is Syria. And, you know, the thing is, these people, you mentioned resources, these corporations have, I don't know how much, how many millions or what of, of um, dollars of, you know, resources to, um, to both produce these factually incorrect uh, war propaganda reports and at the same time to attack honest journalists who are reporting truthfully to our very best. And, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's a cycle. We, should, we shouldn't be caught up in defending ourselves. It is important to issue rebuttals to their smears, but at the same time, this is absolutely what they want us to do. They want us to get caught up in always, um, you know, issuing rebuttals. And on a related note, um, just to... I'm on the speaking tour after this um, experience with the Hamilton journalist. I said, you know what? I'm not going to do any. I'm going to boycott MSM if they want to interview me on while I'm doing this speaking tour because thus far I've not seen any honest MSM journalist that truly wants to give a platform to Vanessa, for example, um, speaking about what she saw during the liberation of Aleppo, to myself speaking about what I've seen in multiple visits to Syria. I'm, I'm going to boycott them because um, they have no honest intention of hearing the truth, and they're just going to use it against me to write some sort of smear campaign. So just on a side note, I, I will be boycotting the MSM. But, you know, like with yesterday's interview, this journalist had the opportunity to, to sincerely um, hear what the people of Aleppo that I met with were living and experiencing. She did ask one question that allowed me to speak to that, but her follow-up questions indicated she actually didn't care. You know, She didn't care about the 11,000 dead from uh, militant faction bombings over the past four or five years just in Aleppo alone, and these are civilians. Um, she didn't care about you know the, the, the horrors that the people were living um, that I expressed to her. So... It's, uh, I know that Vanessa and, and independent journalists who are really doing our best with, with very um, limited financial means and very limited time as well, uh, because we have so many demands on our time, um, it, it, is, uh, yeah, it is a battle to keep doing what we believe is telling the truth and at the same time deal with these, um, these media that are clearly just trying to weigh us down and distract us. And distract people, that's the, the point, distract people from what's really happened in Syria. And I, I'm sure that on your prior shows with Vanessa and other guests, when Aleppo was liberated and afterwards, you, you surely discussed how the media absolutely did a blackout on the liberation of Aleppo. 
Yeah, they did, and they mischaracterized the evacuation of civilians and said that uh, they were being slaughtered by government forces. And the Daily Beast itself, that, um, which is uh, one of the worst um, egregious you know, producers of fake news there is, Michael Wise, a senior editor of the Daily Beast, uh, ran a story that uh, Syrian women were committing mass suicide in East Aleppo to avoid... Assad uh, army, the Assad regime's rape squads that were coming to rape them. And uh, and he ran that. The headline went, he went and took it to CNN. And then they, you know, amplified that story even further. And it wasn't challenged by one of CNN's so-called um, news people. And uh, that, to me, embodied the whole mischaracterization of the news and it showed the power of fake news uh from the mainstream perspective they have they have great power when they can invent a story and yeah. it can it can then go very quickly to millions and billions of people and it, it it then is given the air of officialness by people like cnn they did this with the russian trump uh, dossier which was totally made up uh and they made that seem legitimate for a period of time but uh, it, it's not a level playing field, um, Eva. The, no, it absolutely isn't. And that's another point I was going to make is that, you know, while uh, independent writers and, and journalists like ourselves and others um, make every effort to be um, as, as factually true as possible, and, you know, there are times when I myself have not articulated as clearly as I should have or could have, but the point is we're trying to tell the truth as, as much as possible as we know it. And they are they are very overtly, intentionally telling mistruths, and they never have to be held accountable for it, you know. And it's just, it's it's another, it's it's obscene. They can they can flat out manufacture stories such as the example that you gave, and never be held accountable. Yeah, and you have a right to your, you have a right to question that. Everybody does, every member of the public does, and one would one would hope that some members of the uh, the press, the mainstream press, would also feel. They, you know, compelled to question uh, some of the reports, especially the White Helmets um, reports, which are really and, and and reports from activists. I use that in quotes. Activists uh, in journalists uh, really pu- pushing this narrative of the rebel. I think what's happened, Eva. You know, and I want to get your comment on this because I think this might be a really good point. There, there's there's been a false dialectic which has been constructed, which is the rebels versus the govern the evil government versus the freedom fighting rebels. That dialectic was it's a false dialectic that's been constructed, and so every reporter, every journalist is trying to reinforce that dialectical narrative, and so w- what they're doing is delegitimizing any reports coming from people in government uh, uh, controlled areas of anything from the government itself anybody from the army or anything the army's doing all of that across the board is there's an effort to delegitimize any of that information any of those events uh, because because it doesn't fit into that dialectic that been constructed in 2011 that's my feeling on it but that's really dangerous, Eva, because they're delegitimizing the majority of the Syrian population, right? Absolutely, and it also is, um, you know, uh, um, analysts or academics in the West, uh, many are doing this as well, and, you know, Stephen Zunis is one. Um, there's a guy that writes on Counterpunch, just absolutely 
pro the, the concept, the notion that there was a revolution in, in Syria. And other, other writers for Counterpunch are doing this as well. And at the same time as delegitimizing honest voices who've been on the ground in Syria and taken interviews and have video and audio you know, documentation of Syrian residents speaking their truth and speaking what they've endured um, living under the rule of, of terrorist factions or being assaulted by militant factions, if not in living in the same area. Um, th- these these testimonies, even though they're they're documented, whether written or or even you know, especially if they're documented audio and video, um, as you say, they're they're delegitimized just because the, by by the media who just say, well, this person is incredible because she writes for this website or she's contributed to this website or she was she visited Syria and you know another narrative they like to uh, pump around is to say, well, they were only in. Um, government, well, they say regime areas, and they were escorted by the Syrian army. Every journalist that doesn't sneak into Syria um, is in government areas. So the BBC, for example, Channel 4, they're in government secured areas. And, you know, the way they phrase it, saying being escorted around by the Syrian army, the Syrian army, in those instances when they are with us, for example, on the road to Aleppo or in areas of Aleppo that are extremely dangerous, we're there for protection and we're putting their bodies on the line, you know, standing in front of me in, in many instances to protect from potential snipers. So it's not only um, wrong, it's an insult, the way they, fra- they phrase that about the Syrian army. Um, you know, and also, of course, about the whole dialect and lexicon, and I know we've talked about this and others have talked about it, but just the insistence of calling it regime, regime, regime. It's the Syrian government, and, you know, if any, any, any countries can be called regime, it's the American government. Um, I wanted to touch on something uh, I came across when I was researching for this rebuttal, and it was um, a, tw- a November 2014 video of Syrian her- hero boy. And um, I, I wasn't very surprised anyway. He was being shown as a heroic kid who was protecting his, I think, younger sister. And it looked like he was under fire. And I think that um, what it was presuming to show was he was under fire by the Syrian army. And he was, he was somehow heroically um, rescuing his sister. And even the BBC at one point, um, as I said, I wasn't aware at the time, but when I came across this just recently, at one point the BBC was debating, you know, maybe this is a real video, maybe not. And their monitoring person, Amira Galal, in November 2014 said, well, we can, defin- we can definitely say it's Syria, and we can definitely say it's probably on the regime's front lines. We see in the footage there's a barrel, and it's painted on it is the Syrian army flag. So, first of all, it's not the Syrian army flag. It's the flag of the Syrian Arab Republic. But she said we can definitely say it's in Syria. This is an expert for BBC. The video was filmed in Malta by a group of Norwegian filmmakers who had a funding from, I believe it was from the Norwegian government, uh, Norwegian Film Institute. So they, they, they actually admitted, yes, we made this, we staged this video in Malta to be in Syria for whatever you know reasons they were doing this. And this video was believed to have been in Aleppo, and even the BBC's expert was maintaining it's in Syria. So, you know, again, they, they nitpick at people who are, have legitimate testimonies, and when there's gross um, manufactured media, they, they don't critically question it. Um, another more recent example was the arrest of the um, filmmakers in Egypt uh, who, were, who were trying to film and stage a video purporting to be in Aleppo. So the whole notion when people like us talk about 
the possibility that some of these videos coming from Channel 4 or the White Helmets or other groups might be manipulated, might be staged, when we say we're conspiracy theorists or that we need to be fact-checked, but when it's actually staged, um, the, the corporate media themselves whitewash and cover up for it. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's multiple examples of that, Eva. It's not. I mean, we've you've just mentioned two, uh, but I'm sure if if we when when we when we collate it, let's say when we do it, uh, we're going to have you know over a dozen, maybe dozens of instances in total uh, where there is uh, some fakery or something intentionally staged, uh, and and to various different degrees of. You know, a fakery, uh, a fraud there from Ken Roth uh, retweeting a, a photograph of Gaza and saying that it's in Syria or um, the White Helmets uh, tweeting a Russian airstrike before Russia even uh, uh, started doing sorties over Syria. Um, there, it, there's various different degrees of fakery, uh, I think, that we've seen. But one thing has absolutely been consistent, and that is throughout this conflict... All of the editors uh, at, at NBC, at CNN, at the BBC, at The Guardian, unquestioningly accept anything coming from an activist or activist source or from the White Helmets or Aleppo Media Center. No questions whatsoever. No, nothing on the authenticity. They air it as if it's fact and it's, you know, fits into a, a pre-existing kind of narrative. Um, that has been 100% consistent throughout this conflict. And I, I've never seen, this. there's never been anything like this, Eva, in history of warfare. This amount of crowdsourced fakery and uh, collusion with the mainstream media is unprecedented. We've never seen it before. This is historic. Uh, yeah, I had, I had somebody um, email me, and I, I want to find the link to his website. He emailed me a link he thought I would find interesting. I believe that website is called Apophenia. I think that's what it is. Um, I can find it actually right now. Anyway, so it's a clip of um, a journalist. She might have been Swiss, basically just saying, we are parachute journalists. We parachute into um, a conflict zone report a number of stories that we're told to report or that we, we think is not that we think is true how does she phrase it she was essentially saying we don't know what we're talking about we go in there we assert that we're experts and then we go to another conflict and do the same thing so you know she's admitting that and she was from a, some sort of uh, swedish gunilla von hall um so she's corporate media and she's saying you know we're setting the agenda and she's admitting and, and there was a german journalist that died recently who in 2014 did the same thing he said you know i was paid to tell lies and i knew i was telling lies but i did it and at some point i had to come to terms with myself and i i, I came out and stopped doing it and i i you know talked about what was going on but you know back to the whole um smear campaign issues like um i think it's the same case with vanessa as well but in the context of the campaign against myself by snopes and channel four they were addressing that un video in which I had replied to the Norwegian journalist, um, if, if people have seen that clip or not, and he was essentially asserting all these facts, and I just said, well, where, and I said, what you're touching on about activists, I said, where are you getting your facts? Because he said, we have organizations on the ground in Aleppo, and I said, you don't. There are, in East Aleppo, there were no actual organizations on the ground. They were all relying on unnamed activists or compromised sources embedded with Al-Qaeda. Um, now, 
this is where I could have been more articulate when I referenced the white helmets. Now, I, I, in fact, I might have been incorrect in saying that um, there are girls that reappear. What I should have said, there, there's a girl that seems to appear in a couple of videos, and it's quite possible, given the fact that this organization has $100 million um, or more in funding, and given that um, manipulation of videos and, uh, and uh, accounts and reports is nothing new, as you've already said, I sh you know, it's, it's quite possible that this girl has appeared. But what people did not, these Snopes and Channel 4 and other um, detractors, didn't bother to address the many other points I made in, that, in my, my segment of the 45-minute-long you know, panel, nor of, of the other panelists who made excellent points about this war of aggression against the sovereign nation. They only chose to harp on two points that they thought they could use to um, defame me. And it's yeah. interesting, actually, you know, looking at the Channel 4 uh, comments thread, many people comment um, that they see through Channel 4. It's interesting. It seems like um, the public aren't necessarily um, all completely buying the lies of Channel 4. Yeah. No, and, um, and just a footnote, the, uh, the, the German uh, uh, newspaper journalist you talked about, Dr. Uh, Udo Ofkot, uh, was found, uh, d died of a heart attack at the age of 56. Uh, he wrote the uh, the book Bought Journalists, where he described exactly as you said, Eva, um, b basically being handed press releases and told what to write and so forth, and intelligence agency involvement in that process. But 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 back to uh, back to the the UN interview, the Snopes Channel Four uh, attack. You're absolutely within your rights, Eva, to question the authenticity of every single image which has been released by the White Helmets. And the ones which you were questioning, uh, if you look at one of those images of the uh, one of the girls being rescued from the rubble, I see in the background none other than Bilal Abdul Karim, who is uh, embedded exclusively with al-Nusra, and who we don't know much about. We, we're told he's American. He does work with CNN and others, and uh, he takes an absolutely pro-terrorist uh, um, sort of line on his reporting. So he's basically Al-Qaeda's journalist, really, if you boil it down. But he's in the frame there. And so that, immediately, I think that is uh, suspicious and should be looked into. But there's so many staged uh, videos and images that look like they were basically done in a film set or that were just so perfectly staged. Um, it makes you wonder when you speak to actual EMTs, actual first responders, like the, yeah. the real serious civil defense, they don't carry around, they don't have photographers going with them when they go to, you know, respond to an emergency. It's just not a priority for them. Their priority is to do the work. So straight away, we have a propaganda element, which is very much present in everything that uh, is produced by the White Helmets. And the fact they're being funded by USAID, by the British Foreign Office, two active players, two governments that are actively involved in regime change and lobbying for a no-fly zone, right there, there's a conflict of interest. And so, therefore, everything must be questioned, in my opinion, and many others. Anybody who's responsible is going to agree, I think, with that point, but that's not what's happening with the mainstream media. Yeah, and um, I'm going to touch on two points in regards to that, um, one being the issue of staged photographs and forensic analysis of photographs 
uh, or Sage videos, and the other being issued the Al Quds Hospital, because that was something I mentioned in at that UN press conference. So I'll start with the Quds. Um, again, this is a case where I could have phrased it and articulated better. I said um, it wasn't attacked. And, you know, I can't prove that it wasn't attacked. And as a friend pointed out, you know, even throwing a, a small, uh, even throwing a Molotov cocktail at it would, would um, equate an attack. What I should have said was it was not, as MSF actually reported themselves, it was not reduced to rubble. This is a direct quote from the MSF report. And, uh, and we know, especially thanks to uh, Vanessa Bealy, who was on the ground and actually went to the Al-Sukuri district where the Al-Quds hospital was, we know that it's still intact. You know, prior to Vanessa actually going there and confirming this, we had also the satellite imagery um, provided by the Russian Ministry of Defense, which showed it was still in, in the same um, physical shape as it was October 2015. But then Vanessa went there and visited. And so this hospital is intact. And yet this hospital was key to um, the media frenzy around April 2016, vilifying both Syria and Russia for um, alleged strikes, which reduced it to rubble, according to Medicine Sans Frontieres, which has no personnel on the ground. They only rely on terrorists. Um, the other point I wanted to talk about was just recently um, I was talking with somebody who does forensic analysis of videos and photos, and he had some interesting feedback. And now this is not, you know, definitive proof of anything to do with the, the videos um, that I referred to in that Channel 4 in their um, article on me. They, they chose three incidents, um, and they, they showed videos or photos of the incidents. And so the, the person that did this forensic analysis um, had some interesting points about... Um, Two, two of the videos. Um, well, one, and this is common, actually, I would say, and you probably know more, and Vanessa certainly would, about other video, um, which seem, videos which seem to be staged, but one was that he said the girl is making a wailing noise, but not actually crying. Uh, she doesn't like what's happening, but isn't so unhappy to be uncontrollably crying, which would be normal for a child in that situation. That's obviously also, um, we can say that about Amran, the dusty boy. Um, and you know, he also pointed out something I had noted in this video. The rescues are careless. Um, they allow some rubble to roll towards her and that they had pulled her up by her ponytail from under what's supposed to be rubble. And anybody who knows a little bit about um, rescue or what you, how you deal with somebody who's been injured, you have to take great precaution with their spine. You certainly wouldn't pull a little girl up by her ponytail. That's just absurd. Um, and another, uh, uh, regarding another video with the girl that was called Aya, um, he analyzed the blood and he just, he found a lot of um, things to do, like um, points to show that it's quite possible that was uh, fake blood. The way that it rolls down, the direction, the path that the blood rolls down on her nose, that it goes directly into her mouth, that the rescuer wipes a little bit off her nose. But, you know, there's just so many inconsistencies with the blood. Um, the fact that it's, you know, she's supposed to have been injured and, by the time it takes her to be transported to the facility where she's getting medical care, the blood is still as fresh as it as if it had just happened. And in his perspective, it would have been dried and caking. So there's many, you know, there's many, many inconsistencies. Um, and again, we can't definitively prove that these are staged. But you're right; we have to question everything. And you know, we're not, the, the corporate media is definitely not questioning. They're they're doing everything they can to silence those that do question. No, and the amazing thing is, uh, you know, CNN and others with the Omron, um, Omron Dakish 
the dusty boy of Aleppo. They ba- actually, ba- the fact he wasn't crying, uh, they baked that into their commentary, basically saying, oh, this poor boy is so shocked that he, he's not shedding any tears. And but we're going to shed tears," said uh, Kate Baldwin from CNN. You know, so they can even take something that might actually be you know fraudulent on its face and then spin it uh, to sort of amp up their own narrative. It's it's a tremendous exercise um, in the power of media and propaganda, in my opinion. Okay, Um, that that we're not. It's amazing. It is breathtaking. In a Washington Post interview, um, which the Independent, in their, their, they, they wrote about Amran a number of times. I'm, I'm interested to go back when I have time and see how many times they wrote about Amran, because clearly, you know, uh, they were really trying to hype that, that story a lot. But in one of their um, reports, they quoted a so-called Dr. Zahir Sahlul with the Syrian American Medical Society, and I believe Vanessa's probably spoken about them. I don't know the extent of their backing, but certainly they're not uh, putting forth the narrative on Syria that Syrians living in Syria would agree with. Anyway, this doctor said, regarding Amran, he said he, he, and he was saying this boy is clearly in shock, and then he said he was asleep when the barrel bomb hit his home. All right, so he's, he's putting this forth, and then the Independent actually um, ran in one of their other articles, quoted the boy's father, Abu Ali, and he said, um, his, uh, he said he described how he's sitting on the sofa next to Amran at the time, and in another report on um, uh, the Telegraph, a very romantic, wax poetic report, um, Abu Ali um, uh, it said something like he looked down at the unruly mass of dark hair. I mean, it's anyway, the boy was clearly awake, according to Abu Ali's um, uh, account, the father, and yet this expert said he was asleep. And, I mean, it's just, it's just meant to create this image that this little boy was sleeping peacefully when the evil Syrians, you know, bombed him. And, again, there's no, uh, to me, um, if that boy was in shock, you know, from his supposed injury, um, still the the great question is why was nobody giving him medical care and why was nobody giving him any sort of therapy for shock? They were just sitting there photographing him. Yeah, yeah, he was just an object. He was kind of a like a prop, really. That's kind of like I felt is I felt sad for the boy, not because of what he because uh, he was in a barrel bomb attack. I felt sad because he's being used as a prop um, yeah. by all these people and. Uh, and the girl too. The I think his sister. There was a little girl in the foreground who a lot of people didn't see uh, yeah. uh, in the, in the original. But and she had the exact same makeup, or not, I won't say makeup. I can't say for sure, but the identical pattern of uh, the uh, you know the face done up in exactly the same way as Omron. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Really, I thought, wow, this is interesting. I do know people who do Hollywood makeup. And uh, I haven't approached any of them yet, but I've worked on film sets and I've worked with them. I've done severed fingers. You know, I've done all sorts of I've done the hand. I've done the hand as well with the stump and, you know, the hand chopped off all that stuff. I've done some war stuff and um, and I've seen the. I know what kind of tools there are. And, you know, there's lots of different tools and rubber and latex and it's endless and they can do anything, you know, so it's. You know, putting a bit of blood on is no big deal, you know, a bit of dust. So I'm not saying I know for sure, but but it's certainly, it's it's very easy to stage images, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's very yeah, easy. I, w- 
I, I don't know why people find it so hard to believe when all the time we watch Hollywood movies in which such scenes are staged for the purpose of the movie. And when the White Helmets has such enormous funding and is clearly not the neutral rescuer body that it purports to be, it's not um, uncredible, it's not you know, hard to believe to, that they actually could be staging these videos or some of the videos. The other thing I was going to say is if we had you know, a fraction of the funding that these corporate media um, corporations do have to put forth their propaganda video, if we had a fraction of that funding to hire a professional forensic analyst to look at these videos, I think that we'd be able to reveal a lot, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's hope, let's hope, Eva, you know, in a final, final parting thought here before we break, but let's hope that some people in these organizations might find the moral courage maybe to deploy some of those resources to get to the truth. Um, that would be very nice to see. And in fact, Eva, if they did that, they wouldn't. You know, we wouldn't need to be doing what we're doing right now. If if I have just a minute, Pat, I want to quote somebody, and I'll tell you who it is after I quote them. Okay. Um, somebody saying um, regarding uh, Omran, you'll know who it is. Uh, he said. It was then I realized how traumatized the boy was, and I changed the camera from filming to take a still picture. The tears started to drop as I took the photo. It's not the first time I've cried. I've cried many times while filming traumatized children. I always cry. We war photographers always cry. I hope all photos of children in attacks in Syria go viral, so then the world knows what life is like here. That quote is from the photographer of Omran, whose photo made the rounds, Mohammed Raslan, and he's also the guy that took a selfie with the Nuruddin al-Zinki beheaders of Palestinian uh, child Abdullah Isa. So where were his tears when he was hobnobbing with the terrorists? And where was the corporate media's tears when a week after Omran, Leith and Mohammed in uh, Fu and Kafraya were shot in the head and in the neck by terrorist snipers? You know, yes. it's just the, the hypocrisy is so blinding. Um, I really hope that people who are still questioning the narrative on Syria, take a step back and, and do some research into those issues, into Fu and Kafraya. They're massive suffering. They're, they've been under siege since March 2015 and almost daily are being bombed. It's horrific what they're suffering, and the media says nothing about them. Yeah, they should be there. They should be reporting those stories, and they're not. Uh, and we thank uh, yourself, uh, Vanessa, and others who have been reporting those stories. And you, your work will we'll stand up uh, with the test of time. Um, your testimony, the testimonies that you've gathered, that Vanessa has gathered, are very real, and they will stand the test of time. And if there are war crimes tribunals, uh, those re that real journalism will be used as evidence, and it will topple uh, the mountain of lies uh, which has been piled up um, by the mainstream media, by Western governments since 2011. So thank you for your work, Eva. Oh, and likewise yours, Pat. Um, if I may just quickly plug, I'm going to be speaking in a number of Canadian cities as of January 24th. Uh, if, there's, if there are people uh, in the area that maybe even if you already know a lot or all, you know, you, you need to know about Syria, if you are there, if you are, you know, supportive of wanting to end the war on Syria, even if you already are very well informed, I would really love it if you could show up in Hamilton, especially. Um, there are organizers of the so-called opposition who are calling for people to show up at that event, and clearly they're, they're inciting some sort of hostility. So supporters of Syria, it would be great if you do, if you can come out for that event on January 24th um, at New Vision United Church, 24 Main Street, uh, west in Hamilton at 7 p.m. 
Yeah, and Hamilton's just uh, just south of Toronto, right? It's uh, it's in Ontario. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Hamilton uh, in Canada, just uh, just north of the U.S. Uh, border there. Uh, so you're speaking there. What's the date again, Eva? Uh, that one is January 24th at 7 p.m. There's a Facebook page you can find it. It's been shared on my own Facebook, which is public, um, mm-hmm. and also on the 25th. Uh, at 12.30 noon, um, 12.30 at McMaster University, there's another event. So, I mean, there's going to be events in Ottawa, and I'm excited about those because Stephen Gowans, who's, who's a man I have immense respect for, he oh, will yeah. be speaking on the panel. Um, that's January 27th, and then January 28th in Montreal, um, Michel Shosadovsky of Global Research will also be speaking on the panel, and he's another person who has just incredible knowledge. So, Oh, brilliant. Um, Excellent. Those will be... Those will be filmed, but if you want to come out um, to the actual events, they're they're open, free to the public, you know, so please come out. Yeah, no, Stephen Gowan's tremendous researcher, uh, you know, amazing, amazing, Michelle Tofidovsky, so you're in good company there for sure. So, yeah, yeah if you want to support uh, Eva in this issue, uh, go check out her Facebook page, Eva Eva Bartlett, or it's, what, what's your Facebook page again, Eva? Uh, it's Eva Kareen Bartlett. We'll put a link to it on the show page after we're done here to make sure people can go there and get that information too. But uh, yeah, definitely worthwhile if you haven't uh, if you haven't planned to attend such events, please do, please do. But uh, thank you again, Eva, for everything, and uh, we hope to speak to you first and uh, soon, and then safe with your travels. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank thanks very much for having me on. Okay, our pleasure. There she goes, Eva Bartlett, ladies and gentlemen, independent journalist covering Syria uh, in a very truthful and thorough way, and we support her work, salute her work as well. We're going to take a short commercial break, and I'm going to come back uh, with some final thoughts on Washington, D.C. and the protests with Hesher from ACR. Stay right there. You don't want to miss the next segment of Overdrive. We'll be right back after these messages. time. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, members will get access to more premium content like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films and get inside access to members' podcasts like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show, Drive-By Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter. 
as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv.